Hello, welcome to today's episode of the Laundromat Millionaire Show. Actually, our final episode of season three. Hard to believe, Carla, isn't it? Guys, this is episode number 60. We have 20 episodes in each season. And, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, all we can do is thank you. Because you probably don't watch these things, but we watch analytics and numbers. And the growth is pretty crazy. We've went yes. from a podcast of a couple of people that own laundromats in Cincinnati to having five, six, seven thousand 7,000 viewers. On yeah, a lot I of think our we've episodes. had over 40,000 downloads now yeah. at this point. Yeah. So, we so feel that's like not even talking about the YouTube part. That's just for the podcast. Yeah. We feel like we're just really getting momentum. Obviously, we get all your feedback and your kind words and messages and emails and stuff. First of all, thank you. We appreciate it. It just lets us know we're on the right track and we're making an impact because that's why we do this. But anyways, mm-hmm. for this episode, episode number 60 of season three, we have kind of a rock star, and mm-hmm. it's a very unique episode, very much nothing like any episode we've ever had. It's with Brian Harrington. He's a laundromat owner out in the Chicagoland area. But the cool thing about this is he's actually more of a construction expert than a laundromat expert, but he's mm-hmm. definitely a laundromat expert too. He owns a laundromat, is in the process of doing three more of them, but he also has built 13 laundromats through his construction company for mm-hmm. other people. Yeah, he started in construction and then got into laundromats himself. So he has a lot to share about construction, about getting into the industry, and about uh, whether you want to partner with others or do it yourself Mm -hmm. and some of the financing that goes along with that. So this is definitely an episode you won't want to miss. So stay tuned. We'll see you in just a bit. Okay, before we get started on today's episode, we do want to take a moment to remind you of a very cool opportunity that we just started on our website. If you haven't heard about it yet, it's the Laundromat Millionaire Community. It is a membership where you can gain access to everything that we have about laundromats. So products that we've created, um, forms you can download, um, all kinds of stuff that we use in our laundromat that you can use in yours. Um, Even a searchable video library in case you're researching the industry or certain aspects of the industry. Yeah, you get discounts. You get the ability to chat with me in a more intimate setting on very specific topics. You get distributor and product reviews from users in the community. It's a behind the scenes, intimate community that I'm very involved in. We're very passionate about, and we'd love for you to check it out on our website. Go to laundromatmillionaire.com, click on the community tab and see what it's all about. So Brian, welcome to the show. We're so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I got to tell you, man, I want to start out this episode by, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always talking, Brian, you know, whether it's on social media or email marketing or whatever, I'm always talking to people about the value of networking. And I just kind of want to point out to people that the, the way we, not that we're best buds, but the way we've connected and gotten to know each other was we connected through LinkedIn and social media a little bit, little bit. Um, started kind of following each other, uh, seeing some value in each other's posts and things. And the next thing you know, we're sending a few private messages here and there about whatever this or that hope to see you here. And then next thing you know, we got to talk for, I got to talk with you and your wife for probably what a good 20, 30 minutes at the CLA conference in Chicago. And so I just want to point out to people that like, I didn't know Brian, I don't really still know Brian. Um, but how we connected is we're both intentional. 
about yeah. that. And there's a ton of value in that for the industry as a whole. And those things compound, those relationships compound over time. And so I find it kind of interesting that that's how we got you on the show is it, it starts with this very, you know, very small step of connecting through LinkedIn or whatever. And next thing you know, we meet each other in person. We have a great conversation um, in Chicago at the conference. And here you are on the show. And then I'm sure we'll see each other. You know, we've we've seen each other at the clean show and things like mm-hmm. that. But I think we crossed paths and didn't get to talk. Uh, if I remember right. But I just want to point out to our audience before we even jump into your story today, that that's an example of something I've been trying to intentionally do since basically 2009. And I am pretty transparent and authentic about the idea that it's it's led to a significant portion of our success. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, I really am passionate about letting the industry know the value in that. And it doesn't have to be spending $5,000 to travel across the country and go to a conference, but it can be. And when you get there, the value associated with, even we were at the conference, you know, we were both very busy talking to a lot of different people. And I know you and your wife kind of just went out of your way and kind of intentionally came up to me and caught me in the back of the room. And next thing you know, we had a fantastic conversation and I'm sure we'll talk again even after this show. So there's a tremendous amount of value for us in the industry as a whole in us laundromat owners connecting building authentic relationships and sharing information with each other. Mm -hmm. We can do it publicly like this. We can do it privately with private conversations or private messages or emails or whatever that looks like. But when, when Carla and I talk about, you know, us collectively as an industry, elevating the industry, we're really talking about laundromat owners connecting and building relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, So just want to point out that's how this interview came to be. Um, Kind of of funny. I seen you on LinkedIn. Um, it was uh, it, it was kind of ironic. I'm like I'm building my well, it would be my fourth laundromat, and uh, but the first one I've owned myself. Okay. And uh, I said, you know what? Uh, it looks like uh, this guy <laughs> kind of knows what he's doing. So I I I, <laughs> I, I, I looked you up and and uh, I, I uh, got with you on LinkedIn, like you said, mm-hmm. and then uh, just kind of followed your story. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, you had that book come out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought the audio because I, I drive a lot. So it was mm-hmm. it was better for me to do that because I'm not, uh, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time to read all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, a great story. It was a great Thanks. background. Thank you. And, uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, you and I come from kind of similar means. We of, do. Uh, yeah, yeah, we really do, you know, and, and it's like, um, so when we did meet with you at the conference uh, with my wife, uh, we, we did have a wonderful conversation with you. And uh, I learned a lot from just uh, listening to what, what uh, you guys bring to the table. I, I, I look at the podcast. I see everything on social media. You know, like you said, we're, we're hooked up on uh, Facebook and everything. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's a nice network uh, group. All right. So, Brian, let's hear about your story. So, where did you start off? Tell us a little bit about your background and what's led you into the laundromat industry. Well, it's kind of unique. Uh, So, uh, I grew up uh, in Streamwood, Illinois. You know, I've been out here um, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago all my life, basically, um, with the exception of my military uh, time. But um, uh, we uh, met my wife in church. Uh, that was over uh, 43 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, we've been married for almost 37 years come May. And uh, um, I got uh, uh, three three children. Uh, my son, Christopher, uh, he is a, a partner now over at CMB. Um, oh, okay. And uh, he runs the operations here at my at, at the construction company. Uh, my middle daughter, she works with me over at the laundromat, and uh, she she works part time over here uh, in in the construction 
And my youngest daughter, she also works at the laundromat, believe it or not. Uh, and her dance studio is attached to that building in our old uh, in our old area. So she's got a thousand square feet and she just started up her dance studio. Awesome. So, Family of entrepreneurs, I, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife uh, just came off from being, you know, a uh, a stay at home mom, and she's she's joined the uh, joined the uh, great fight here in the laundromat business, and you know, she's she's loving she's loving the customers. Uh, she's she's wonderful. <laughs> so now you have this whole family of entrepreneurial minded people. Yeah. Were you always entrepreneurial as a yeah. kid and everything? And I know laundromats aren't your first business. No, my, I, I actually, I'm the dumb one in my whole family. I come from a family of eight. Um, and my, uh, my dad, uh, was, uh, a, a CPA. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he was all on his own as an entrepreneur. I kind of followed in my dad's footsteps, you know? So. I know you joined the military, uh, back in 1984. What, what made you want to join the military? Was that always- your dream or? Yeah, as a kid, uh, I, I grew up. My dad was a Marine. Um, all his brothers, they all left. Uh, my dad was the only Marine. Everybody else was in the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, when I joined, I joined the Army. I, I just had a wonderful time in the, in the military. I spent 22 years. Oh, wow. um, I, uh, I I got out back in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a wonderful career, a uh, wonderful team. And that really helped me. Uh, the Army actually got me into not only uh, developing teamwork, Mm-hmm. but uh, also leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, between those two uh, things, um, you know, I was driven back uh, in the day to, I was working for people and I just had that urge of, I'm, I, I could do more, I could do more, better, you know. And mm-hmm. I looked at how things were handled and thought if I had my own company one day, all of a sudden I went to my wife and I said, I want to start my company. She's very supportive. She said, go ahead. So... We did, you know. So, and your uh, first company was construction, correct? Construction, C&B yeah. that's behind you? No. I, no? I, I, okay. I started out home remodeling, yeah, Harrington's oh. Construction, believe it or not. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I bombed on it the first time. And then I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought I better go back to college a little bit. And uh, um, it's not that, it, uh, it's not, I had some people take advantage of me and, uh, you know, it, it threw me into a, a very financial crisis. But at the end of the day, it was a great learning curve because it, it forced me to go back to work, learn, go back to college, learn mm-hmm. um, and uh, understand business. That's what I didn't understand. There's nothing better than free. Ever heard that before? Well, it's not true. You know what your laundromat customers like even better than free? It's fast. That's right. They want to save time more than they want to save money in most cases. They want to get in and out of your laundromat as fast as possible, and they'll pay more for that experience. We're proof of that here in Cincinnati. That's why we added HM Company drain troughs into our newest store in Cincinnati. While they may never know why, your customers will love that your washers all drain better and faster than with old school drain pipes. As if that wasn't enough, every HM drain trough is made in the USA, so they ship in only a few weeks and everyone is custom made just for you and your project. If you want to provide your customers with a top of the industry experience in your store, then contact your distributor to order your HM Company drain trough today or visit draintroughs.com. But um, after that, um, when I started up the company again, I had a, I had a good partner. Uh, he said, Hey, let's, let's, uh, 
let's try to do this. Um, it was called a company called Three Dimension originally. Um, mm-hmm. He he wanted to be bought out. We bought out, and then my son grew up, uh, and then he said, "Hey, Dad, I want to start something for us." So CNB came alive back in two thousand five. Yeah, two thousand five. Okay. Yeah. And do you still do primarily residential? Do you do commercial? Both? Or? All commercial. Uh, all commercial. Specialized in self storage uh, laundromats. I was doing car washes for a while, and then uh, any real commercial properties, so strip malls, that type of thing. Okay, so I don't know that I totally got that. That's why this is fantastic that we get to do this. So, did you build laundromats for other people before you owned a laundromat? Oh yes, yes, you did. Uh, Interesting. Four other developers, yeah. And then I I got it by mistake, believe it or not. I had a guy call me. uh, He he bought a strip mall, and then said, "Hey, could you?" I want to build a laundromat. So I did some research and um, I uh, I actually ran to my architect who actually did uh, a few laundromats. He said, yeah, those are easy. Of course. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it's like any other business. You really just have to understand, you know, that um, it's easy to draw them, you know, but mm-hmm. it's it's uh, not you need to know how to operate them to uh, understand the you know the 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 flow of what a customer is going mm. to need and the flow of what the team's going to need you know mm. uh so wow and uh that took a while to learn and um uh so that I, I learned that by mistake i had a customer who was building uh um a laundromat and a self storage together and he ran out of money during uh the first recession Mm. So that's where I came into my first laundromat because I became an investor because he couldn't pay me. Mm. Oh, yeah, sweat equity, huh? <laughs> Different yeah. type of sweat equity. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it paid off in the long run. It, it, you know, it was everything off, and and uh, you know, I, I I got myself involved in uh, two uh, another one with him, and then um, and he bought me out. And I was very mm. very pleased. Um, and then uh, then I opened up one with another partner. Uh, a, a few years back, and uh, we ended up selling out uh, to uh, a group out here in Chicago, out in Rockford. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took all that money, and I during COVID, and I plopped it into my car wash uh, that uh, uh, got closed down through the health department, and I converted that to a self, uh, to a, a laundromat. Yeah, which is now. So I, you I took a. So the laundromat you have now, we used yep. to be a car wash, yeah. and you bought that, closed it down, and built a laundromat. Correct, yeah. Wow. What was that process like for you? That sounds easy. Why would well, the health department <laughs> close down a car wash? Yeah, that's a great Well, the, the, what happened was we're full service car wash. So okay. we had to take possession of all the vehicles. Oh, and so like you, your employees also, got in them and drove them through? Is that the... Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we were thir- three cheers back from the road, uh, even though we're on the main road, and... Um, so we were getting beat up already by the uh, the express washes out there. Uh-huh. So um, no bank was going to loan me any money to to update the equipment, that type of stuff. And during COVID, nobody was getting any any real loans. So mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that sale of that one laundromat at the time, um, I probably would have my my car wash was closed down. I probably would have lost the car wash altogether. So it was mm-hmm. a good it was a good. Uh, I got blessed by God for sure. I I, I, I very much believe that that mm-hmm. is watching over me and, and got that sale going so that I can convert this, which was a fantastic, uh, fantastic mm-hmm. thing for myself. Yeah. 
Awesome. So now we get into the nuts and bolts of you have a laundromat, but do I understand correctly? You know, partners, you, you and your wife, just me. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Tell us about that and tell us about turning a car wash into a laundromat. Well, actually it's a, uh, uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, I went to the city of Elgin and I said, I said, I'd like to uh, convert the car wash into a laundromat. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you're going to have to go through and you're going to have to deal with the, um, the sanitary and this and that. I said, what are you talking about? Why? What's the yeah. difference between converting a a, a a thing that washes cars to now washing clothes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So at, when it, when when we got past that, uh, we got our permits within three months. Uh, I converted the car wash in about uh, um, 10 weeks into the wow. wow. Yeah. I got uh, I got a loan through um, Alliance. Uh, I got all hip equipment in here. Okay, and uh, it's uh, it was fantastic. And then I used the equity. I owned the car wash for eight years. I, I used that equity there, and then um, I got my other loan through Northwest Bank of Rockford, who has been my financial partner for many years. So mm-hmm. yeah. that ten, I'm, I'm a little stunned. I apologize. I'm rarely speechless, Brian. <laughs> 10 weeks is uh, crazy. Yeah, I would think uh, there, there would be, be a lot of things you would have to, walls you would have to move so, so and when everything. You, just to clarify yeah. for the audience, when you say 10 weeks, is that, I mean, that's not planning and everything, right? There's no. No, uh, we, we, we went three months uh, through the uh, drawing and everything we did in-house, we got yeah. that done. And then I had my architect stamp it off uh, with with some, uh, he, he helped me do some revisions. And then after that, uh, yeah, it was a almost three months process with the village. But I had the car wash. I was already scrapping out the 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 uh, car wash because I knew it wasn't going to ever stay. And then uh, so I, I had bare bones. And then as soon as I got my permit, I mean, we immediately started construction. We were working uh, 15 to 17 hour days on that. And we, we converted it right away. Uh, I had it up and running um, on January 18th of 2000, yeah, 2021. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, oh, okay. Two okay. years now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So the, so the planning process you did in-house, but that was about a three-month process involving all your fiasco yeah. with the city and everything else. And then you were at the same, at the same time you were doing demo, which obviously mm-hmm. you're, you don't need a permit to do demo. So right. you're allowed to do those things. And then you quote unquote broke ground with kind of a, somewhat clean slate and yeah. that's when you guys got in there and we're working long days yeah and we're Kicked able to some actually butt. yeah yeah I, I gotta really say that um knowledge wise uh it, it because of the fact of the background that, I, that, that I, I i was able to do for others i i i was able just to put it right into my business mm-hmm. and really benefit from it, you know? So it was really a, a good thing at the time. The, you're referring to the experience you had in building laundromats for other people. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Gotcha. At this point, how many laundromats have you built or remodeled or whatever? Would you say you got about a 13 facility wow. okay. yeah, in, 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 within the last, since 2005 to now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so with all of that experience, I feel like you are going to be an awesome source of advice for people out there that are looking to build or remodel a laundromat. First yeah. off, let's just get to build versus the retool. <laughs> yeah. um, what can you, from your experience, what can you tell people as far as starting from scratch, like taking something that wasn't a laundromat before or even 
uh, blank ground, whatever, empty ground versus retooling an existing laundromat. Do you have recommendations? Can you give anybody advice as far as what extra costs they're going to incur by starting with something that isn't a laundromat versus starting with something that is already an existing laundromat? Sure. Well, retooling, um, the, the the downsides to the retooling is everybody knows who has done it. Uh, you have to actually disrupt, you're disrupting your customers uh, and you you don't want to shut down completely if you don't have to mm-hmm. um, and to kind of keep your business going. Um, but in a lot of cases, uh, if you only have a 2,500 square foot retail center space, it's better just to shut down, rebuild it and, and open up right away. Um, and, you know, find that contractors out there that you, you, you really have to find a contractor that's motivated and knows, you know, the P's and Q's of, of the plumbing, the electrical, uh, and understands the, the real need of the, uh, the, uh, owners, mm-hmm. uh, when you're in a retail space, and I'll talk about that first. It's harder because of the fact that what you're improving, you're improving the owner's space. Mm-hmm. So all that money that you're investing in uh, that space uh, is really the benefit of the uh, of that landowner or that who owns that mall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you could shut down, great. If you could do a lot of the work at night and pay a little extra to the contractors, mm-hmm. but you, you can keep an areas open during the day uh, that uh, people do understand. If you're trying to improve the community, uh, they'll they'll do that. So. Uh, but from ground up, like you're s- suggesting, mm-hmm. uh, typically that's uh, owners, uh, a person who finds a piece of property, wants to build up their own independent laundromat uh, mm-hmm. from ground up. Um, my advice is uh, you need to really uh, do the research up front, uh, go to the city, find out if there's monies available for improving the land. Uh, mm-hmm. You could be in an opportunity zone where they'll give you some tax credits you could be in an enterprise zone, which they'll give you money towards, or you could be in a TIF zone where they'll help with the infrastructure, which is uh, really good for for people. If um, if you're not qualified in any of those, uh, you'll be looking at some pretty hefty costs to tap into the sewer and water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have to deal with the sanitary sewer district. Um, and then, um, of course, every city loves laundromats because of the fact that, as you know, the water bill is always, you know, great income for a city, you know, because we're paying those bills, right? Yep. And uh, um, so the city is pretty much on board if you're going to do do that. Uh, but uh, parking is uh, another factor. Um, you may not have, you know, but two or three customers at, at a shot in the very beginning. But like right now, you know, my parking lot is full and I have um, I have 30 spots and during the weekend, my, my site is constantly in a big rotation. There's not a lot of, I don't have a lot of standing around wait time, you know, mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm lucky there, but if I had so, smaller equipment, I'd be, I'd be in trouble. You know. So what you're describing there is something I always say, I think it's kind of a made up word, but I call it throughput, mm-hmm. getting yeah. people in, getting them over and getting them out with a great yeah. experience while we're there, yeah. but as quickly as possible. What yeah. are some things that you learned through building 13 laundromats? And it sounds like you did 
probably everything right or most things right on this facility. How big is this facility? And walk me through kind of the store or walk us through the store, if you will. Payment systems, you talked about hipsh equipment, uh, width of the aisles, folding tables, all the things that go in, you know, incorporate. I know you have ozone in there. Um, what, what made you do what you did in the facility? And then I'm going to have a million more questions back to the construction in a minute. <laughs> well, so, uh, yeah, so the, 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 what I did is I took the tunnel of the car wash, r- roughly 6,000 feet we, uh, we have for, uh, there's 4,500 square feet of where the tunnel was. And then I have an area for the drop-off, like a Wi-Fi cafe, kids zone, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where people were sitting while they're waiting for the cars. I have that area. So we have a total of about 6,200 square feet. Okay. uh, This is a standalone building. Is that right? Standalone building. And then I have where the detail center was. That's another 1,000 to 1,200 square feet. That's for uh, future expansion for uh, storage, really, for us as we expand, like, our force ship. Well, right now that's the dance studio for my daughter. Okay. I went with um, a hipsh equipment, like I said. Uh, I do have fast card. Okay. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, so is your payment system laundry card only, or is it? You mentioned fast card. So you take credit debit cards at the machine. Yes, we do the fast card. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. we do everything at, at each machine. Correct, and then um, and then uh, we we have curbside uh, laundry for okay. our washable. Yeah, so our okay. POS system is through curbside. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So let me ask you this: I know you were you were somewhat uh, I don't want to say hindered, but you had an existing building in place, so you're working yeah. within those parameters to a yeah. certain extent. Tell me about like the width of your aisles and the thought process. Did you do you have machines? You know, front you know sixty pound machines facing each other. What was the thought process of the depth of that aisle opposed? You know, with that for proper throughput and things like that. Yeah, you're going to be blown away. I don't have one. Mach- I don't have no washers facing each other a- a- anywhere. Wow. Okay. So, I have, uh, so what I did is I uh, took the the exit of the tunnel where mm-hmm. all the customers would be able to see. I made that a display, and I, I put multiple uh, uh, machines there. So I did uh, forty two forties, two sixties, and a, and and a two eighty pound machines right in the very front. Mm-hmm. And behind that bulkhead, okay. I put all twenties behind there. I got twenty pounders right behind that bulkhead. And then I have okay. along the the length of the tunnel, I have on on one side where uh, you would be able to watch your car uh, being washed. Mm-hmm. I have all the machines, uh, I have washers on that whole side. Those aisles are seven feet wide, and they also vary in all different sizes. So I have uh, twenty pounders, uh, eighty pounders, sixties, uh, and forties. And then I have one additional bulkhead towards the rear, and I have uh, 40s, 60s, and 80s on one side, and then I have four extra 80-pounders on the additional side. And then you, you hit the nail on the head. I was, I'm was i a big proponent of uh, of ozone. Mm-hmm. Love it. Me too. Um, Definitely. I ended up going with ArtClean. Okay. Um, ArtClean's got you know that big holding tank and everything, and we were able to get it in the back, and uh, I got everything married right with all the uh the, the, the boilers uh works out well it's fantastic so awesome yeah i don't regardless of the company I, we use santa wash obviously but i don't yeah. know any i don't know anyone that has put ozone in their store regardless of the provider that yeah. isn't ecstatic with it mm-hmm. and the people yeah. that are over the moon ecstatic with it are the people that understand putting it in isn't the beginning right that's that's just the i mean that's the starting gate it's not the end is what i should say when you market it 
And when you learn how to promote it, and I noticed like even your website, I think I saw it on your website, green energy and all this, like, <laughs> like you're clearly promoting and Martin's supposed to just saying, we have ozone and customers go, I don't care. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what is that? Like when you market it and you're very intentional, I'm guessing you do this in store too. We do, Tell yeah. us about that real quick. What's your, putting it in is the beginning of the process, not the end. What, what have you learned through promoting and marking it and explaining it to the. To how do you educate your customers to know how great it is? We have a couple stand standing signs that explain ozone, but you know what the big thing is? Our team members educating our team members what it is, and then the team members explaining it to a customer. Mm-hmm. You know, you only need a quarter a quarter cup to go in a twenty pound machine. We have ozone; it's going to take care of all your issues with these high efficiency washers, and or you throw one pot in versus you know two pots. Mm-hmm. Customers come in there and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" and then they'll say. I don't believe it. You got to see a bunch of soaps. I I always tell them, I'll do a free wash, but let's do it my way. Show you first. We'll throw one pot in. If you don't start seeing some soap suds and all the good stuff, uh, then I'll I'll give you your free wash. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it works every time. And, uh, <laughs> so you had a lot of experience um, constructing laundromats before, obviously, you were making yours. So you had a lot of learning experiences of what to do, what not to do. Can you speak to some of what you would call maybe the mistakes that mm-hmm. laundromat owners make when designing a laundromat that you made sure not to implement in yours? Yeah, that's a real good question because <laughs> when I first started building them, I had no idea other than I'm putting in machines mm-hmm. and I have to put power water to them. And that's basically it, you know. Um, as I started understanding uh, when it, when the first one came in, I wanted to kind of dive in a little bit. And even though I was just an investor, I wasn't really in operations. I got involved in the operations. So if uh, someone new is coming to the industry, they really need to go look in, uh, and, and maybe like take one of your classes, for example, because um, as an operator, uh, when you're designing, an architect is designing to space. They're not designing to an operator's uh, abilities, Great you know, point. Man. and uh, that's important. So um, the biggest downfall as I've seen is real tight quarters. Uh, uh, you, you don't have anywhere where you, when you open the door and you have only a couple feet behind you, mm-hmm. uh, uh, people got big baskets trying to get past. I go now and I'll, I'll, I'll look at some of these drawings that come up. Uh, well, we had a few of them that just came up on the, Laundromat uh, Millionaire um, website, the other uh, yeah, uh, the Facebook like, group. Oh no, <laughs> no, don't do that. You know that's not the way to do it. Or, um, and then the other thing is, um, give a variety of of uh, of, of washers. You know, Definitely. it's one thing to jam packed in a bunch of small ones, thinking you're going to make a ton of money, but it, it's uh, all about the timing too. It's it's time management for a customer. They don't want to be there two hours. They want to be in and out as fast as they can. Um, and the machines that we have is we have it to where, you know, 36 minutes is total for all the washes, basically. And then, you know, if you do half hour dry, so you're you're really only going to be at our facility no more than really an hour and a half of your folding on site, you know, mm-hmm. and give good space for folding. Mm-hmm. Give good space for folding. Uh, I have a whole wall of just dryers. They're all 45-pound dryers. And then um, I have um, I have 30 uh, workstations, and they're shielded between each workstation. 
mm-hmm. uh, during COVID uh, for the health department. I wanted to appease them at the time, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't get cross contamination and all those socks that roll into someone else's <laughs> right mm-hmm. or shirts or you know pe- people can control their space mm-hmm. and. Believe it or not, I don't have one 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 person ever complain about. Hey, you know, take these shields off. I don't like them. So you did it for COVID, and customers actually like them. They love it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's another marketing tool because we slapped two stickers on it and said, you know, everything clean laundry services on it. You know, so mm-hmm. so by workstation, you're referring to a like a folding table area. Yeah, yeah typical okay. folding table. That's all along the right in front of the dryers. Okay, all, all along the, the back of the ball. Case, Thirty, right three zero. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. And Thirty what, folding what tables. What size are those? Uh, they're they're the, just the standard uh, standard like size. Four feet long. Yeah, four by you know with the du- double shelf on top of it. Yeah. Okay, so just like a high mark folding table kind yeah. of thing. Okay. Gotcha. Nice. Okay, so your big advice is watch the space. Make sure you don't yeah. put too many machines where you don't have enough room for aisles and folding. And yeah. another one we always hit is seating. Sometimes there's like no room for seating. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody yeah. wants to just leave their laundry. They want to stay there. <laughs> right. So I'm curious, with your uh, facility, you already had the building. You already had the square footage. It was what it was. And yeah. even with our new project, that's what the building we bought. It's a two-acre property with a 9,000-square-foot building. Um, so you kind of work within the parameters of that. If someone weren't in that situation and they were leasing space, but they could lease anywhere from 2,000 to 20,000 square feet, or maybe they're building a building, so it's just a piece of dirt, and they sure. could build a 10,000 square foot building or a 5,000, what do you, you know, as a construction expert, any idea how to right size that facility for the location, demographics? I mean, you've done this plenty yeah. of times and walked other professionals through the process. Any uh, golden nuggets, as I call them? And also, yeah. I'd like to add, based on the size, how many parking spaces? Because I know parking is important, too. Great point. So do you have a formula there for how big the parking should be relative to the size of your store as well? So how should yeah. big should the store be and how much parking? Okay. Uh, the store, <laughs> you need to find a decent location, about an acre of area. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what you want is uh, about 30 spots. Now, out of that 30, two of them or three of them will be required for handicap. Mm-hmm. So people need to realize that. Um, I would always have a, a, a front and a rear exit or a front and a side exit mm-hmm. available, which you'll have to put an ADA uh, in, in both locations, correct? Um, so, um, but... Uh, the the size that I would say between five to seven thousand feet, it would be good. Square feet. On one acre, one acre. That would give you enough area for uh good storage. Cause if you're going into the pickup and delivery, wash, dry, fold, uh, drop mm-hmm. off, sir, you need storage. Mm-hmm. And um as as we all know, we're always fighting with those customers from the drop-offs. Come get your clothes, come get your clothes. Mm-hmm. So um, but um but yeah, I mean, if if you have to cut that down and you're in a smaller community, mm-hmm. then you can. I built uh, one in, in Rockford. It it, it was uh, um, uh, 5,500 square feet, and uh, it was on a ha- half acre lot, and we only had um, uh, 21 parking spots. So Did you say 5,500 square feet? It was 5,500 square feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 21 yeah. spots. 
and 21 spots. Which and is still is a good size laundromat mm-hmm. and a decent amount of parking. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. But uh, it's now I'm building my self-storage right next to it because mm-hmm. I owned it and, and I sold it. So now that we share kind of a, an entry, um, people I know are going to be parking over at the self-storage area. At least try to, you know, it's going to yeah. be. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's constantly busy. I, I, I see it and I'm like, boy, I mean, it's packed all the time. So any any advice on a formula? Like, let's say someone's building a 2,000-square-foot laundromat. Is yeah. there, like, a formula a construction person uh, or, or an, um, an architect or something would use for, okay, instead of building a five, six, seven thousand 7,000-square-foot with, did you say, 30 parking spaces, yeah. maybe we're doing a 2,000-square-foot, you know, in a smaller town, not, yeah. not, not the size of Chicago land and things like that. How do, how do they what how do they know I guess what my question is is whether you're acquiring an existing one or you're building a new one how do you know if you have enough parking even well, for a smaller facility each each town is going to be different you're going to have to go to your your local municipality on that and they're going to tell you what their requirements going to be so they have a formula and they're going to say you yeah, have to meet this yeah mm-hmm. okay gotcha yeah. and 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 they're going to tell you how many handicap ADA spaces are going to mm-hmm. will be required of you so I can go in one town and I can go to the next town over and it's going to be totally different. Different. So, okay. Yeah, their ordinances are different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a question too. Um, just based on your experience, I know you've had different partnerships over the years um, and you've learned some things from some that went well, some that did not go so well. What advice can you give people who are maybe looking at having partners or investors in their laundromat? Um, anything in, in that realm? Yeah. I, I, um, well, when you're a partner, you give up a lot of your creativity and control because you have to share, you know, uh, and you compromise mm-hmm. with the partner because they have to have say too. I mean, it, um, you know, I may like the color blue and they may like the color, you know, green, you know, mm-hmm. um, and where's that compromise come from? Right. So uh, you have to kind of pick your battles when you're, when, 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 when you're working with a partner uh, and it depends on what the type of partnership that you're developing. Is it if you're doing an LLC and uh, you are the managing partner? Well, you, then that, you're the expert. Then you get to basically do that, and you have a financial partner. You're obligated to just pay, you know what what the agreement's going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest thing is is uh, I would rather have an investor. Uh, with investors. Um, you could, uh, you, you, you have full control, um, you pay their, them their dividend, you know, give yourself enough time to build your business up to pay the dividend. And then, uh, you know, but they always get paid first, you know, yeah. make sure that they're paid first, they're satisfied and always have an option for uh, to buy out them completely. So if you have a partnership, it's it, it, it can rally into basically, uh, horror, a horror story on you, and uh, it turns into basically a divorce, really, because then mm-hmm. you know it's a lot of legalities and a lot of legal things you have to do, and um, they may say, well, you can't keep the name, or you can't, you can't do this, and you want something that you can take and move forward with, you know, so. Mm-hmm. When you say when you say like you're referring to like an exit strategy of oh make sure there's a buyout in there, yeah. how do you how do you you know maybe it's a little too in the weeds but I'm curious how do how do you formulate something like that is it based on 
percentage of net operating income? Like it's it's obviously put into the operating agreement, but any advice there? Because I'm guessing you've done different versions of partnerships and different types yeah. of buyouts. I mean, if you're foreseeing the future, hypothetically, how do you know what the business is going to be worth? Or is it just you take a valuation of, you know, 5X net NOI and, and they have a 25% market share, um, so they get 25% of that? Or how does that, any advice there? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so um, what I do, Dave, is I build a performa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll do a uh, a three or four year projection, mm-hmm. and then uh, based off the four year projection, I'll say I want to buy you out on my four year projection. Now, if uh, if you're doing extremely well, and let's just say you hit those numbers at two years, um, you know you want to you you want to be able to buy out about you want to buy it out at your valuation of what you projected with your investor. Okay. So, if you hit it in two years, that's the time that you can go maybe refi and and pay your investor off because they're going to love you. They're going to say, I want to invest in your next one, you know, because mm-hmm. um, if they get their money back and they're getting their 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 profits back, um, they're going to be big friends of yours because you did it in a lot earlier time. So they're going to get dividends for two years. And if you reach that, you know, if you reach that four-year performa in two years, and yeah. then you're going to buy them out at the value of the business at that time right. with their equity. So they're getting dividends for two years and then their equity percentage, and they're getting their money back, which they can then reallocate to the next project. Did I understand that right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, uh, when, when, when you're looking at the, uh, you have to build a performa anyway, the bank will require it. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize how important that is because um, when, when I was building my performa on, on the third one I owned with a partner, uh, it was not being watched uh, as this is how we have to operate, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I, took my my eyes off that project because I was building another project for the two of us uh, in storage somewhere else. So it got to a point to where the eyes got off of the price and, and we were spending, we're out spending what we were actually profiting. And that became a, a problem because that became a lot of money out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never achieved the goal. But now when we sold it and you have the group that came in, they had money, they had deep pockets. Uh, they were able to put put the things together, uh, and all of a sudden, now this thing is screaming, you know, cash. It's mm-hmm. a, it, it's cash flowing very well, mm-hmm. and um, so you know you have to have people that are, are are wanting to come in that are investing in time because you're going to need time to make it happen. But if you outperform yourself, have it at a point to where you can buy uh, buy them out for what you promised them, what you're going to get, and have them come in on the next deal. Because if you're doing that well, <laughs> you're ready for your next deal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, I think a lot of people when they enter, and maybe this is just my brain, but I think when a lot of people enter partnerships, they don't think about the exit strategy. Heck, a lot of businesses people enter into and don't think about an exit strategy, especially something as soon as two to four years in. Yeah. But the way that you've just laid that out makes, I always say, I want to put myself in my partner's shoes. And right. why would they want to do this? Well, right. you just gave me a pretty good example of why somebody would want to do something like that and would actually be excited 
to be bought out. You know, in yeah. theory, you'd think, well, if I'm a private investor or a silent partner and I, it is screaming cash and that means I'm getting, you know, it's throwing off cash. Why would I want out? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to get your equity and then you're going to redeploy. So you're, everything you're everything you're mentioning is obviously from the perspective of an operating partner, too. Yeah. Right. right. So that's assuming you want, you know, you want to buy out your partners. Yeah. I think it's important that, that um, uh, we're, we're, we're creative people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously you, you've you've built your little empire, which is very creative, on, mm-hmm. on how, but it's step by step. Yeah. And having, a, having an investor come in and take that from you is, is a little difficult pill to swallow because you really just need that equity, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make things happen. And if you're making a promise to them and, and delivering on your promise, they should be very happy because if you're doing that well, you're going to always be a good uh, resource for them to invest in. Mm-hmm. And they're always going to make money. Yeah. So um, I have not yet uh, disappointed one of my investors yeah. uh, in regards to that. It's taken a little longer on, on, on a couple of things, but when we do cash out, it seems to always uh, uh, benefit everybody. And it's always at the right time too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Another question I had, I know you've had some mixed experiences dealing with banks and getting financing and stuff like that, as we have too <laughs> over the years. Um, it definitely gets easier the longer you're in business. But do you have any advice for people getting into this industry as far as gaining financing from banks or from other organizations? Yeah, it's very frustrating, isn't it, Carla? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's, a, it's amazing, though, once you get to a certain point, it's, yeah. you know, you, you go from begging them to lend you money to yeah. them begging you to borrow money. Yes. Right. It's funny how it flips really quick, by the way. Yeah. And even having financial institutions kind of compete Fight over for the best yes. rate. You know? right? yes. yes. So um, uh, it, it, it's, it's very difficult because uh, the biggest heart-wrenching thing, and, and again, something came from your book, which is exactly where I, what I experienced, is uh, being told, no, you don't have a good plan, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough uh, capital to invest. Uh, we want to take your, you know, your house, your kids and, and, and the car with the dog, you know, <laughs> um, and, and there's, there's certain compromises you just don't make. Right. Um, and, um, uh, so with my experience is that, um, even, even the deals that you get from certain banks, I had one bank, uh, come up to me and my partner at the time and said, Hey, here, here, this is it. And then I get the term sheet. I look at it and it's like, since I had more of the the capital power, they wanted everything out of my pocket, not out of his pocket, right? Mm. His, his his couple little investments weren't even equitable to where they wanted a, a lot of my stuff. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Mm. And um, and boy, was he hurt? He was upset. He was like, why aren't you gonna what? It, it, and it's like, I'm not going to put my my net worth all in. Mm-hmm. For something that I'm only getting fifty percent of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, it came a point to where I I, I got a good partner, um, and I had a bank that when we walked in, they were like, "We will do everything in the world uh, to try to uh, give you the word yes to make it happen." And uh, I have a great banker; um, he's a good guy, um, and uh, he has made things really happen for me. I'm going to mention his name is Craig Carlson from Northwest Bank of Rockford. Good guy. And he um, uh, he has made a lot of things 
happen for our family and for our, our business. But now, like you just said, now you have other financial institutions that are saying, hey, you know, you got a great idea. You got a good thing uh, ready to roll with. Um, uh, we want to be on board. So um, my big thing is, is that uh, I listen to certain financial institutions up front and I'll give a real good piece of advice. Don't go and, and if you're going to go and buy a piece of property, don't put all the money in on the piece of property. Take the take the property, put in thirty percent of your own equity. Hold on to the rest of that seventy percent of that equity. Take a loan out on it. Mm-hmm. Use that to go uh, be able to uh, finance that and roll that into the uh, construction loan for your mm-hmm. your, your, your next part of the uh, project. Um, because um, what I did is I put a lot of money out of my pocket, and then when I when it came, they said, "Well, you just don't have enough money." You don't have enough liquid money. Mm-hmm. And um, that hurt. That hurt because at the time, this was on a storage project. I, I, I'm trying to sign a, a loan for $10 million and I couldn't do it because I put all the money in on the property. And uh, it, the appraised value was just at the $10 million, right? So they're not going to give that to you. They're going to have a thing called LT, uh, LTC or LTV, which is loan to cost or loan to value. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll only give you 70% loan to cost, loan to value. So yeah. um, so at that point there, I would only have been able to get a loan for 7 million. So if I would have had the cash, they looked at that as higher, higher uh, valuation and I could have gotten something better. Mm-hmm. So that was just a bit of advice that, that I ran into. Yeah, so. it's amazing how you move numbers around. You know, things change, and from the from the base, I could say I'm a pretty basic business owner. You're like, well, these are the same thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> but that's amazing. You you just got to make the uh, make the actuaries happy. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing. Well, I, I seen you guys uh, when we were at the Clean Show. You were doing a podcast with a, a gentleman, um, and he he was a financial guy. Uh, yeah, Chris Mahalik. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, uh, have you guys done work with him before? I we mean, have. Okay. Okay. A lot of work. Yeah, he's 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 the founder and owner of uh, Prime Capital. Prime awesome Capital, yeah. guy. Yeah, Chris mm-hmm. is a fantastic guy. We've probably done. We've done a few different things with him. Five, yeah. five, six, seven different loans. Some of them very small early on when we were broke. Sure. Like Chris, our water heater's out. We don't have ten grand. I need ten grand, and he yeah. gets you fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of them were pretty small, but then some of them were like whole store projects. But um, he's very relationship focused. Like, yes. you know, he got to know us and really believed in us, and you know, he'll he'll do everything he can when he believes yeah. in you and your project. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and we found that, uh, especially early on, dealing with um, some of the industry-specific lenders like Chris and like Eastern Funding and yeah. even Alliance for Equipment and stuff like that, we had a lot more luck with them because they understood the business. Right. Where, you know, in the beginning, Dave was going to banks and they're like, laundromat? What What kind of business is that? I don't even understand your numbers. So we really found industry-specific, especially early on, was essential. Yeah, because we were kind of selling a vision and a plan that the banks didn't really buy. They kind of, they kind of thought I was full of it. And I, you know, thought I knew what I was doing, but I was like, I don't know, maybe I am full of it. (laughs) I'm not real sure myself here. This isn't helping my confidence. But then I went to industry specific lenders uh, that my distributor pointed me to. He had relationships with them. And he, you know, when you start laying out a a well thought out plan, 
to somebody in the industry that's been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years like Chris, um, then it I mean, it just either makes sense or they can poke a hole in it really quickly. Yeah. And the beauty of working with somebody like Chris at Prime Capital and even Eastern is this way too, is if they poke a hole in it, they that that's not a no. That's a go fix your plan yeah. and go back with a better plan and we'll approve it. So they actually act in a lot of ways as sort of a mentor. I mean, they're not going to be on the phone with you for hours every day, but they'll they'll poke holes in your plan. And some people take that as dejection or rejection. And I say, no, go back, fix your plan, come back. You're going to be I mean, it's going to be a better investment for you. Because you finance through them, or if you were to go to a bank that doesn't really know the industry, they might you might just get a yes or a no. Um, one thing I did find um, in, in in regards to uh, when you find a community bank, mm-hmm. um, they're willing to work with you, but they're unlim- they're, they're limited on the certain amount of money that they can loan you. Sure, mm-hmm. and um, and you're right. Uh, um, uh, it's all about the business plan with mm-hmm. uh, new laundromat owners. If they're coming in blind and just hear this is just a cash cow business, that's fantastic. But how much research are you really doing to understand your cash cow business? I'll tell you, your first couple of years, it's not exciting. It's not, <laughs> it, it's not, it's not, uh, uh, it, it, it's sweat, it's equity, it's it's a lot of out-of-pocket expenses, a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I learn something new pretty much every day. And, mm-hmm. and I know you guys do too. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, what's interesting is the lender uh, needs to know that you understand what you're asking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think that they can go ahead and have someone else write their business plan, present that to the bank, and they're going to get the loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when the banker comes in, they can see right through you. If, if, if you didn't write that business plan, they'll see right through you and say, hey, you don't even know what you're talking about. You yep. Know? Mm-hmm. That is, man, that, wow. Everybody pause, rewind, listen to what Brian just said again, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a little Dave Men's flavor to this, Brian, if it's okay for a second. Sure. What I learned is, I wrote my own business plan, mm-hmm. but what I learned is when I went into, you know, these, you read my book, these 20, 30 banks, whatever it was, and I actually felt like I did have a pretty good plan because I was working with a pretty good mentor, a equipment distributor that had been in the business for a long time, and they were helping kind of mentor me. And so I actually had a pretty good plan. I just didn't have much money and no experience. When I went into them and I laid out the business plan, they just gave me a yes or no, but they didn't really ask any questions. Just they gave, and it was always a no. What I learned is when I started working with the right relationship or starting building right relationships with people like Chris and Alliance and things like that, they would ask me questions. And when they asked me questions, I had no problem selling my vision. So there's, there's the, there's the nuts and bolts on paper. And then there's the, I call it storytelling. Yeah. And when you tell the story of how are you going to do this, you don't have any money. I told them, I'll work 80 hours a week. That's how I'll do it. <laughs> well, and then, you know, they either believe that or they don't believe that, but at least you have a plan. So my point was when I got somebody that actually cared and wanted to pause and was willing to take notice and listen to my story, then I had the opportunity to tell the story. And when I told the story of my vision of what I was doing and how I was going to do this, and I brought that together with the business plan, the nuts and bolts, uh, the pro formas, the things you're talking about, mm-hmm. then it was like, that's when I got people's attention. Right. And they were like, oh. But the other people never even, they didn't want to hear it. I was like, well, can I, I mean, is there anyone come in and talk to you? We could sit down. No, no. Mm-hmm. Like the, the math didn't work, didn't make sense. They didn't need, they wouldn't want to give me a half hour of their time. 
Right. So, I mean, you have to be, my point is you have to be working with a lender that's willing to listen. I mean, you can't talk to a brick wall, but at the same time, you also have to be able to tell your story. Yeah. Like this, you, you, you said it. I mean, that's just gold. You cannot have somebody else create a business plan for you. You walk in and hand it to them and say, that's going to tell the story. Yeah. No, that starts the process of telling the story or maybe gets the door open to let you tell the story. Um, if that makes sense. At least that's been our experience. I know you're working with bigger projects than some of ours. So Dave earlier talked about, um, and when we were starting out with our first store, his mentor, Steve Millman at HM, was was crucial to developing that business plan for, you know, getting that first laundromat set up right the way it should be. Um, I noticed when you were listing some of the things you do, you also listed that you're a consultant. Are you a consultant for people in the laundromat industry? Would you like to share about that? We're we're, we're a consultant in construction Mm -hmm. overall. We've we've done varieties of of consulting. Um, You know, we do charge a fee for Mm -hmm. that, you know, obviously. Um, But uh, we're we're not a heavy, heavy fee hitter. You know, we we're uh, what we do is if we do a consulting job and someone says, hey, we want you to build it, uh, we'll we'll give back that whole fee Mm -hmm. uh, as part of the construction. Uh, okay. So, if, like, if someone paid ten thousand uh, dollars, we did a feasibility study and we did a uh, kind of conceptual design and and did uh, your entitlements. Uh, that's pretty reasonable uh, fee structure. And said, "Hey, could you build the place for me? Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, could you also make a construction budget?" That type of. So we. Um, uh, we, we, we consult on a, a variety of things. <laughs> so if our listeners do want to reach out to you, um, possibly for consulting services, uh, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Sure. They can go uh, www.cmbconstruction.com. Okay. Uh, Chris November, bravo, you know, uh, construction.com. Yeah. And then awesome. uh, they can go on our page. It's got all of our information. They can call our office. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're, we're happy to help anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then also if they want to see your laundromats, what's the website for that? Sure. Uh, Everything Clean Laundromat. It's uh, laundry.com. And uh, we have a fantastic, I, I didn't, uh, I, I need to do a big shout out to our Dennis Diaz. Oh, uh, yeah. Great. Great guy, Spinner Group over there. Um, as after awesome the person. after the conference, uh, Wash Strike Bold conference out here, uh, Spinner came out to our laundromat, and uh, you know, I, I I really want you to uh, follow back up with him. But he, uh, he he said it was probably one of the best laundromats you've seen in a long time, and nice. Um, you know, he's a great. And he's worker. seen a lot, so yeah. that's saying something. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Dennis. Dennis Diaz is a great human being. Good yeah. friend. Good. We we consider him a friend, and I know I always tell people I make friends easily. So yeah. I meet you once or twice. We talk for a couple mm-hmm. hours. You're my friend, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, he's yeah. a great guy. And Trey too. Yeah. I bother Trey all the time. Yep. Yeah, both. Yeah. both great guys. Awesome. Well, listen, yeah. man. Thanks for taking. You know, I mean, at this point, it's over an hour of your day. Yeah, uh, you could have been out consulting, making money. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, listen, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. We can't wait to share this episode. Uh, with the industry, the construction experience and everything else. I've seen your store. I've seen your web, not in person, but I've seen your website and your mm, pictures of your store. Absolutely drop dead gorgeous store. And I know you're planning on building, I, I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the back here, but you're planning on building a few more for yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. 
up yes. there you in the Chicago three area. Three under contract, I believe. Yeah, we, yeah, we have about three properties under contract. But uh, uh, and I was downtown Chicago looking at another one yesterday. So yeah, nice. we're, you know, we're, it's a we're, shame. We're, you, it's a shame there aren't more people there that you could serve. I mean, it's such yeah. a little town. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you go one block, you got you, you got your captive audience right yep. there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, next time I'm in Chicago, I'm going to have to make my way over to you. Absolutely, you guys come on. I, uh, by. Yeah, you're always welcome. Please. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, for our audience back home, thank you for joining us today. My beautiful wife, Carla, our new friend, Brian. Uh, and by the way, his wife didn't even join us today, but she is a rock star in her own right. Mm -hmm. If you don't know them, you should know them because they're good people. They're part of the process of what we call elevating the industry. This is not something me and Carla are under this delusion that we are doing. <laughs> we are doing this together as an industry, all of us laundromat owners, and yes, with our partners, with the distributors, with the manufacturers. We're all in this together. It's just a matter of whether you want to join us or not. So hopefully this episode gave you a few nuggets. We'll see you all next time for an episode, another episode of the Laundromat Millionaire Show. Take care, everyone. Bye. <laughs> 